The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Flight podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for this episode, we're covering an issue that has energized many of you in the Irish fly fishing community in recent weeks to get in touch about weed growth in rivers and lakes that have been as bad as many of you have seen in recent years. So what's going on? Who's responsible? And more importantly, what can be done about it? We're going to hear from a renowned fisheries scientist, Ken Whelan, in a few minutes to get the scientific perspective. But first, let's hear from George McGrath, the River Shore angler who featured on this podcast earlier in the season. And George first explained to us what he is seeing on his stretch of the River Shore. I've been fishing the River Shore all my life for half a century, you could say, for about 50 years. I'm 61 years old and I started fishing when I was 10. And I've been fishing the shore more or less continuously since then. And I've seen its ebbs and flows and I've seen all sorts of things come and go. I I was uh, witness to the immediate aftermath of dredging on the shore when I was a young child and the damage that that did. And I've seen the the river trying to recover. And I've seen all kinds of things happening to the river over those years. But what has happened in very recent years, I'm talking about maybe the last 10, and in particular, the last two or three, is really shocking for me. Like I said, I've been fishing it for about 50 years. And there's a particular area where I tend, like most people that fish, they tend to go to their hotspots. And I've been fishing in this particular area, which encompasses roughly five miles of the river. So like if I was going fishing, it's only five minutes from my door, hop in the car, in five minutes, I'm at Camas Bridge, or in 10 minutes, I'm at Ballycarden, or somewhere, all those places I've been going to all my life. I, for the first time, Ever, I cannot fish those areas anymore. The five miles of the river I'm referring to are completely and utterly unfishable. I'm absolutely in complete shock as a result. A place I've been fishing all my life, I cannot fish. Now you're going to say, why? why? The weed growth, bulrushes in particular, is just completely out of all proportion this year. Now, it's been worsening for a number of years. For about maybe 10 years, it's been, I, I've noticed, and there was always bulrushes. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, we'd see bulrushes in the summertime, and we'd remark on them because they were like an exotic species, if you know what I meant. And you, you'd only see them here and there, and an odd one here and there. But now, I went to Mantle Hill last week with a view to going fishing. I literally cannot see the river. Now, the river is roughly... I suppose, 15 to 20 yards wide in that area. There's a, there's a half mile of the river there. And you can literally not see water because 
of the extent of the growth of bulrushes. They're nine feet tall in places and you cannot see the other bank. You cannot, the, the river's completely and utterly closed down. At Camas Bridge, which is the nearest point where it's my go-to place for fishing. I just popped down the road five minutes, as I've said before. The bulrushes are, have grown now, not to that extent, but they've grown to the extent where I can no longer fish there because you just it's just an impossibility. The river is effectively closed down. Now, I haven't been down to Ballycarron this year, but I've heard anecdotally that that is, we call it, regressing in the same way. Now, Ballycarron was never known for bulrushes. There was, there's a few bulrushes here and there, an odd one. You'd see one here, and then you'd see another one 20 yards away. Apparently, the river is starting to close down again in there. Now, what I would like to know, basically, is... Why this particular stretch of the river? Why is it the stretch that I want to fish? You, you, you can imagine that the bulrush is headed in for me or something. But that particular part of the river, as opposed to other parts of the river, which if you go much downstream, if you go down, say, into Care or Clonmel, further downstream, now that'd be a good bit downstream. You have bulrushes, but nothing like what I'm experiencing in the part of the river I'm referring to. It's unprecedented. And it has effectively destroyed my fishing season. And I'm so worried about this and so distressed over it. That's why I contacted you in the hope that maybe we can get some answers someplace and maybe some possible solutions, you know. So here I am appealing to people, I suppose, and I'm appealing to those who are better versed in all this water ecology and all that kind of stuff to be able to, first of all, tell me what are the causes of these issues and what are ultimately the solutions. So that's it. Um, two things on that, I think, George. One is just to so clarify for people, it's we're talking kind of between Cashel and Golden. Is it that kind of stretch? Is well, that it talking? will be a little bit further. If you, if you take it, it'll be from Holy Cross Village, right, all the way down to Ballycarron, which is, I'm only giving a rough estimate. You could probably measure it on a map, but I'd say five to six miles of water. The prime, so that entire stretch... That stretch at the prime fishing water, the River Shore is lauded and rightly so as the finest trout stream in Ireland and probably in Europe. And now it's effectively been, it's like that particular section of the river. Now there's fishing below it. Now I have to be honest, I haven't been up near Holy Cross in recent times. I, I'm in absolute shock, as you can probably hear it in my voice. I, I'm really disturbed by this development because it's it, it's something I've been doing. It's like I, I don't know if I, I don't know if you can draw an analogy for people who say have been playing golf every summer all their lives, and all of a sudden their golf course is flooded. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know whether that's a fair analogy or not, but I'm just trying to give people an idea of the effect. This has had a really profound effect on me as an individual. But like, look at the effect on the river. What's actually happening? That I, I don't fully understand it. What I do know is this is very very bad news for me as an angler, and I'm quite sure it's very, very bad news for the denizens of the river, those who live in it, in the insects, the fish, and all the other wildlife around the place. Also, the bed of the river in places is completely covered in this algal, algae stuff. It's like sticky weed, if you like. The whole bed of the river is covered in it. So all this is going on. I want to know what's causing it, and I want to know how to fix it. Which is my next question then to you on that, um, George, is have you contacted anybody the relevant bodies and have you got Not any indeed. answers? I, I have contacted the relevant bodies and basically 
Now, I have to call it as it is, right? I was told off the record by the relevant people, right? I spoke to an individual who I, I won't name for obvious reasons. And he's one of the, what do I call it? He's one of the people vested that has, his job basically is in respect of all this sort of stuff. I'll leave it at that. But anyway, he told me off the record, he says, you can make the report. I will investigate it, he says, as I as is my responsibility, he said, and I will send the report to the relevant, uh, my bosses. And it will be pushed back up the line, he says, and effectively nothing will happen. So I said, basically, it's a lost cause. Well, he said, unfortunately, the current state of affairs is nobody's going to do anything about it. It's political. Nobody's going to do anything about it. And I suppose your worries and anybody listens to this, you know, if, you, if you've come across something similar and, and do get in touch with us, um, if you have kind of experienced something like this as well, is that if no action is taken and if you've seen this situation getting worse over the last 10 years, particularly, what's to stop it getting even more worse and, and spreading, so to speak? Or, That's you the know, worry. So, where, so where's the solution, I suppose, to this problem? To this a, man, a, man told, a man, a man just made a made a, made a he made a comment to me recently. He says, "Your river, sure, he says, will go the way of all rivers. He said it will eventually be an open sewer because he said money takes precedence over everything, and he said this is all about money. There are people vested interests who have no care whatsoever for the environment. They're into making money out of their way of life and the way they do things, and they are going to continue and they will resist." vehemently any efforts to try and change what's going on well i tell you what let's be proactive about it in the sense of and this is why we have ken whelan on here and um, ken thanks a million for joining us as well ken of course, not at all daryl my pleasure is a, is a renowned fishery scientist um, in ireland and all around the world and really ken you've heard george's story and the reason why we wanted to speak to you is to find out why do we think this is happening um, and B, what can be done about it? Because I'm presuming there's regulations, there's, you know, certain things in place to try and actually, you know, be proactive about this. So what, what do you make of what George had to say? Um, first of all, to thank George for, for raising this, I think it's a really important point. Um, the other thing is that I cannot believe the coincidence that I'm going to describe because I'm going to gain 10 years on George in that um, I visited just last Friday um, a small lake that I've been fishing since 1962, and I could not believe the plant growth in this little 40-acre uh, lake. Now, when I, uh, I have fished it consistently si since that time, so even four or five years ago, um, most of the shoreline was relatively free. The other shoreline then is all reed-fringed, but the bed of the lake itself was just a marly sort of bottom, very nice rocks, uh, nice amount of algae, no, nothing untoward. This particular visit, and indeed the last couple of visits, I've suddenly noticed that the amount of higher plants growing in the lake is absolutely astronomical. And about two thirds of the lake was completely unfishable. And these are, you know, completely natural, absolutely normal plants, but in profusion. There was only four or five inches of water on top of the plants. There was only one section of the lake that I could actually fish. And that reminded me that for the last four or five years, as I've been running uh, courses for communities and for various interest groups around the country, 
I've begun to notice this whole issue in terms of plant growth. And um, I think there's two or three things working in terms of what George is describing. Now, I obviously can't speak in any detail at all about the shore in terms of that particular stretch. I haven't been there for a good few years, so I can't comment on that. But I can see so many, many parallels in terms of uh, what I have seen. So let me just try and, and disentangle this a few, into a few little pieces, because I think there's two or three things happening here. Um, first of all, there is no doubt about it that, again, over the last five to 10 years, um, the amount of extra nutrients that our rivers have seen has been uh, quite shocking to me in some instances. I had a situation in Carlow last year that I, I, I really could, could not believe in terms of enrichment in a stream. I also had to ring uh, several uh, different contacts two years ago on the River Boyne. And what was happening there is just what George was, was explaining when he mentioned about this weed growing on the bed of the river. So the blanket weed concentrations on the Boyne at Slane a couple of years ago were really the, the biggest, the highest I have ever seen. They were really, really thick to such an extent that I was very concerned that there might be a fish kill. Because what happens is if you have a huge amount of plant life, you get a super abundance of oxygen during the day, but you get the opposite then by dawn where the plants have been releasing carbon dioxide all night. And I was quite concerned. And I must say that uh, Meath County Council and a group of folks I'm going to talk about a little bit more from LawPro, they gave me enormous assistance, went down and surveyed the river and so on. But there's no doubt that the river had an, a super abundance of phosphorus in there. There was too much nutrients getting into the river. Um, so I think that's probably been replicated in other rivers as well. The third thing that I certainly noticed down the decades is that if you have a situation, and I can think of the Clare Galway, which is quite similar to the shore, a big limestone river, the Boyne that I know particularly well, um, I could bring George to stretches of the Clare Galway and the Boyne that would mimic what he's now describing on the poor unfortunate shore. And what happened on those two rivers was that because of arterial drainage, you had all the bank cover removed. You had a situation where all of the light was suddenly getting in at the bed of the river. A lot of the gravels were actually taken out of the river during the drainage, and a huge amount of very rich silt was left in the bed of the river. The one thing we had, very, very large growths of reeds. So I think what we have is a situation where all of this is now meeting climate change. And I have absolutely no doubt, if you look at the data that has been collected in Scotland, it's extraordinary in terms of the way water temperatures have been going up in Scotland over the last five to 10 years. So if you have a combination of extra nutrients, a combination where a lot of the bankside vegetation has either been thinned or removed, and you have a huge amount of extra light, well, that is just bonanza time as far as plants are concerned. And that means then you're going to get, I think, what I've seen and what George has seen, unprecedented growth in terms of the plant life. And we really do need to be aware of this. And we then need to start thinking about how are we going to solve this? How are we actually going to make a difference in terms of trying to get back those river channels that are clogged or those lakes that are clogged? And, and we might turn to that uh, a little later in the program. But that's really what I think is happening. I think there are three things. I think it's nutrients. I think it's all of this extra light. And I think it's also due to the fact that in terms of vegetation, we've lost an awful lot of our natural bankside vegetation. And thanks a million for that. And we will come back to some of those issues that you've raised there. Tom, I just want to quickly come to you um, because 
in, in the carb and even um, Ken mentioned the Clare Galway as well. What's been your experience out West? Have you seen much of this? Well, I can only say it on my own side, anecdotal. And the first thing I'll say is I kind of know a bit, first of all, how George feels walking down and seeing a sort of an attack of bulrushes, for want of a better word, because I remember going into Rinneroon Bay when the Largo Siphon had taken over and the African pondweed. And it was so, uh, I know how you feel, George, because I looked on it and it was, you couldn't fish the bay. The bay was just, it was almost as if you could walk on the weed, right? And the bay was no longer fishable. And it was an invasive species, as we know. The only, the that that's the similarity. The difference is there was a willingness, there obviously was a willingness and the work was put in. And to a large extent, the Largo Siphon problem has been, I won't say completely eradicated, but it's definitely been managed and managed very well. And so we don't, I don't see it as a huge problem right now at the moment, but I really know how you felt, George, when you said that, because I remember seeing that and not knowing, and and it was it was a gut-wrenching feeling. Oh my God, this is happening. This is, every, what I know is changing, you know? Because what you said, you know, what you've known for 50 years is changing to see that now the similarities there the other thing as i'm saying the dissimilarity is there was the willingness was there and the work was done uh no that's just one problem what am i seeing anecdotally there's no doubt i'm seeing more weed growth yeah definitely i have to agree with that i've been on mask now the last couple of days and i'm seeing weed in places i haven't seen weed before uh there's one place i pulled away from fishing today because i reckon if we caught a fish in it couldn't have landed them and that was in about what would have been 12 foot of water so yeah uh yeah i'm definitely seeing more weaker but now this is all i can say from my own side it's anecdotal you know it's my own experience uh of fishing that part of the lake for that part i've been fishing it for 25 years and i've never seen as much weed in it as i have this year and can i ask you what happens let's take a river if this like take the shore you know, or any stretch of river that something similar is going on. If this isn't addressed, Ken, what ultimately happens? Does it just get worse and just ultimately choke up the river in those stretches? Like, what does happen? Um, yeah, the first thing to say is that, and that's why I was careful to say that really I can't obviously diagnose at, 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 uh, at a long distance what's happening in the shore. Each river um, obviously has its own features and need to be looked at in its own right. But in general, yes. Um, you could get to a situation where it comes completely and totally choked. What happens when it gets choked? People start ringing OPW or the county council to go and drain it. So that's that would be one of my big worries, is that people might think the only solution would be to try and drain the river because it was being choked with weeds. So I think we need to be very careful about that particular aspect of it. But we do need to start thinking about this and tackling it. And um, as I say, there are certainly uh, there are certainly solutions out there in terms of how we can approach this. But the most important thing is any particular stretch that's affected in this way or a lake that's affected in this way, it is important that it's surveyed, first of all, to make absolutely certain that the steps that you take, in, uh, that you take rather, are uh, suitable for that particular stretch of water. Okay. A couple of things that just occurred to me there while you were talking, Ken, and um, one of them was you spoke about the 
extra light. And I understand that plants, obviously, if they, the more light they get, the, the faster they'll grow and the more will grow, uh, so to speak. But the shore, the stretch I'm talking about and the shore in general, which I'd be very, very familiar with, I would say that there's very little, if any, change in terms of the bankside growth in terms of trees and bushes and all that. There hasn't been a whole lot of change, only natural change. There hasn't been any great cut down of bushes or trees or anything along the banks. So I would say that the light has remained more or less consistent down through the years. Right now, I don't know, Ken, whether you're familiar. I've no doubt you're familiar with the bulrush in particular. Right now, I know very little about the particular types of vegetation that grow in rivers, but the bulrush in particular, right, has grown massively. Why would? Uh, well, maybe you can't answer this question. Maybe you can. The bulrush in is a particular problem. It, it, basically, it's the bulrush that's choking the river. Now we have that uh, that weed on the bed of the river as well, and we also have the algae and all those other problems. But the bulrush, when if you look over the bridge of Camus, for instance, you it, it's hard to see the river with the amount of bulrushes that are there. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make here? That why have the bulrushes all of a sudden? Well, it hasn't happened. It's been happening gradually, but now it seems to have accelerated madly in the last two years, last season and this season. Well, I think, George, that um, I'm certainly no bun botanist so I can't uh, honestly answer directly your question I can give you some uh, some of my own ideas in terms of having watched this for so many years and um, there is no doubt about it that uh, post drainage the bulrush is the big issue in terms of the silt and in terms of its ability to be able to hold back the water and to really really do an incredible job at clogging the river so that's why um, it was I'm delighted now that you, you mentioned the fact that the vegetation is still intact so that's why it's very difficult for me to generalize, because unless you actually see the stretch of river itself, you can't really, you know, you can't be going sort of guessing madly as to what's what's causing the problem. But there's no doubt about it that even if you have uh, the vegetation, we are seeing we are seeing very intense light now as a result of climate change. And we are seeing uh, all sorts of different changes in terms of temperature. So um, certainly uh, there has been, again, as I mentioned in Scotland, I know IFI are doing some great work on this now as well. Um, there's a lot of changes happening in terms of water temperature. So even if you don't have huge amount of extra light where you are, the temperature regime may be changing. If you get a mix of temperature regime and a change in the nutrients, the blanket weed to me and the algae, that is saying to me, you know, that phosphorus, it's saying to me enrichment, it's saying to me, is there a problem in terms of a treatment plant? Is there a problem in terms of dairy farming? Is there a problem in terms of piggeries? So these, these are the sort of things that will load in the phosphorus, not to the extent where it will immediately kill fish, but you have a rich and enriched environment. And certainly the blanket weed, that dreadful sort of um, just this layer of thick sort of stringy weed on the bed of the river, which I presume is what you're describing, um, to me, that's always a sign of, 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 the, uh, of the extra nutrients going into the river. Yeah, so the, I, uh, sorry the river to itself really, there, really has to be managed. You know, so. I, I rang the, the county council and I asked to speak to someone in the environment section, the relevant section, to make a complaint about this, and I did. But it seems kind of um, hypocritical of the county council when basically they're in overall management, as I understand it, of the water treatment plants. Now, maybe it's Irish water now, but I think they're the same people, aren't they, really? And we have storage plants 
along the shore and they're pumping raw sewage directly into the river, right? Bear in mind, as I've already said, that this is the finest trout stream in Europe. It's a jewel in the crown of Irish river fisheries. We have raw sewage pumping in directly below towns and villages all along the shore. I'll just talk about one here locally, right? The village of Golden, the beautiful little village of Golden, one of the most picturesque little places in Ireland. The shore flows through it there. And if you look over the bridge, you will again see the bulrushes in profusion. But it, nonetheless, it's a beautiful place. About 70 to 100 yards just below the bridge, there's a pipe coming out of the little storage plant, if you like, the little, uh, it's an overflow. Because when they built the storage plant, there was only X amount of houses. Then there was a whole heap of more houses built in there, and they never upgraded the sewage plant to cope with the stuff. So now it just pours directly into the river. Now, I complained, the, the local club here have been complaining about this and making representations to the relevant authorities and various elected officials over the years. And we got promises here and we got promises there and nothing was ever done. So the council, in all fairness, like how can they go around and enforce the laws on pollution when they are some of the main offenders? Do you know what I mean? It seems like the whole system is, there's something, something fundamentally wrong. Let's talk about the system, actually, George, because I suppose this is the thing is, is to try and find solutions. And I think my experience and I think it's it's the frustrations of people, probably people like yourself as well as that. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Ken, the kind of way to get at it is actually kind of maybe a more longer winding kind of solution that it's not going to be solved overnight. But unfortunately, we have to go through the kind of processes to get there. Um, so, Ken, you might just maybe explain to us, in George's situation and any other angler, if you see something like what George has described, what can and should be done? Yeah, and I think this is, I think this is really important uh, that people understand this. And I'm surprised that what I'm going to explain now, that people aren't more familiar with it. But I'm constantly coming across a situation where people aren't aware of the changes that have happened since 2015. So around 2015, there was a new um, there was a new organization set up called the Waters and Communities Organization. Originally, it had the acronym LAWCO. It's now called Law Pro, and um, the idea there is to make sure that um, exactly as George is doing, that local people can give voice to their concerns in relation to water, that they can start to take charge of their own issues in their own areas. And as far as possible, obviously, it would have to be whoever, Irish Water, County Council, whoever, would solve the bigger problems. But in terms of actually being able to identify that there is a problem, and in terms of putting on the pressure that's needed uh, to prioritise those particular issues being solved, um, that's really the structure that now exists. So what you have in each area is you have a community water officer that's um, belonging to this particular group, LawPro. And in addition to the um, community water officer, and those people are excellent, and they should be the first port to call for anybody like George that has a problem, because they can actually make contact with, with the, uh, the key people, if you like, in, in terms of those particular stretches. So the first thing that needs to be done, as I said earlier, I, I would say this, wasn't, wouldn't I, as a biologist, but you do have to do a survey, first of all, to find out exactly what is the problem and what is causing it. But having done that, um, there is a possibility now through LawPro 
for community groups to actually get trained in terms of uh, being able to start doing citizen science assessments of their own particular streams and to be able to note, most importantly, the changes that are happening and then to be able, able to approach county councils and so on in a very structured way to see what might happen in terms of providing solutions. So in terms of the actual solutions, let me give you one example of something that I've been watching for the last couple of years, which is an absolutely stunning success. So there's a, a major tributary of Loch Ennell that I have known since I started to work in the mid 70s. And it really was uh, in places in a fairly bad way because of intensive agriculture. As a result of that, a bay in Loch Ennell called Lilliput, which forever and a day has been a main swimming center in the Midlands, it hasn't got its blue flag for the last three or four years because of water quality issues in the bay. So there is, in addition to the actual law pro group that I mentioned, there is now this initiative called Priority Areas for Action under the um, catchment, under, under the uh, um, river basin management plans that are in operation. And these priority areas for action, they then mobilize two teams. So within Law Pro itself, there's a group of scientists as well as the community water officers, but there's an equivalent group of agricultural scientists in Tagust. So if you have a priority area for action, these two groups of really excellent uh, scientists move in and their job is actually to help solve the problem. So they will go to the local authority or they will go to the farmer and they will actually find a solution to that particular problem. And as a result of the initiatives that were taken on the tributary of Loch Ennell, uh, that particular bay has now got its blue flag back. So the thing is that the systems are actually now coming into play, whereby these particular, uh, these particular problems, I'm hopeful at least that they, we can begin to start to solve some of these. Now, I have to emphasize that if it's a big infrastructural deficit, for example, there's quite a number of towns around the country that are still waiting on proper treatment plants. That, that's not something that what I've described is going to solve, but at least it might give the communities an opportunity uh, to become citizen scientists and to be able to provide real data as an extra pressure point on the local authorities or on the other state bodies to prioritize some of the actions that are required. Because I want to ask, you know, let's say somebody just looking in this, Ken, how do I go about going what you just said? You said law pro. So I think, so that, that's what just stuck on me. Let's say I want to go ahead and do what you say to report this. How do I go about it? So what you do is you basically just pick up your phone there or pick up your, your iPad mm. and just yeah. Google in waters and communities. It's, and sorry, Ken, it's lawaters.ie is the website. So that's local LA as local authority. So lawaters.ie is the website. And you'll see headings there. One will say catchment group. I think the other will say community group. Yep. And community if you click on those under the community group, you get the list of names and contact details for the local uh, community water officers. And on the other panel, then you'll see a list of the catchment scientists. And the other thing I should say, and again, this may not be of great benefit to lay people, but we should be aware of this because I think, again, it's a big plus. Um, we had experience of a big negative as well that I'll explain that really puts this in context. All of what George was talking about, all the issues in relation to the discharge points for the treatment plants and so on, all of those data are actually captured on websites. 
we have full public information available in terms of the issues that are there. So um, a colleague of mine recently was attempting to get similar information in Northern Ireland. It took them months and months and months because it's not public information. Whereas with us, all of the information that is collected by the EPA, the information that's collected by Irish Water in terms of the treatment plants, that's all publicly available. But the big advantage that you have is that if you mobilize um, small groups that then become technically, um, they become technically competent in terms of what they're looking for, they can actually see the improvement or the disimprovement in their local waters through all the data that's captured. So it is there. But what I find is that some of these official sites, they are so enormous uh, that it's actually very difficult for a layperson to try and uh, find their way through the enormous amount of information that's there. But I think it is reassuring that the information is there. Just while it occurs to me, because I might forget to, to ask the relevant question later on, Ken, um, uh, just speaking about the, the one, uh, I'll just use this as an example, right? The, the, the outflow in the village of Golden, right? The smell there is horrific at times, right? We have the outflow from, I can't remember how many houses are involved, but there's, basically what's happening is those houses, the, everything that comes from the washing machines, the sinks, the showers, the toilets is going past the, um, the little treatment plant and directly into the river, okay? This is well known locally and representations have been made to the council by various local community groups and the angling club in particular is years and years and years making representations to the council and the relevant people in the council and nothing is ever done. It, it, it's just it, it, it's just so frustrating. Not, and it, I, don't, I don't know how much it would cost, but like Golden is a small village. And again, I'm only using that as an example. Surely, with that much pressure exerted on the council over such a protracted period of time, this has gone on for more than 20 years and nothing has ever been done. It's just so frustrating for, for, for the local people and for everyone involved. This, this is, I don't know, Ken, maybe these new systems or whatever, but I'm kind of gone a little cynical. I have to be honest about it. Law Pro or whoever they are, I don't know whether or not they're going to make any real difference because ultimately they're going to be making the same representations that we've been making all along. What difference is, is that going to make? Because these people just seem to be immovable. Well, I think, I mean, that's why I made the point about the infrastructure, George, unfortunately. You're quite right. And I think you're quite right to be cynical. I can hear the passion in your voice. I know you're very frustrated. Um, I lived through 10 years of all of the sewage from Tala going into my local river and that pipe pumped away for 10 years and nobody did anything about it. So I know exactly the way you feel about this. But at this stage, there's definitely, uh, again, a situation in many towns um, where the plants are small. And what happens is when you get an abundance of material going in or you get a lot of flood water going in, the plant has to be bypassed because it can't actually handle the amount of material that's coming in. And I, as far as I understand it, I think Irish Water are trying to move down the list in terms of trying to solve these particular problems as they go. But you said, I mean, what benefit would you have if you have a, if you have a law pro or whatever in place? Well, I think the great advantage is that you have a very structured argument then to make. It's an argument that's, that's actually based on numbers and an argument that's based on, uh, on uh, results that are actually collected by the community itself. 
And I've seen this in action in terms of a couple of small streams here on the East Coast. And the difference it has made when you had an active citizen science group in an area is quite extraordinary. There's one little stream just south of me here, just, just a border stream between Wicklow and Dublin. And the community there has managed to lift the water quality in that stream from it's usually uh, based on, on a water quality system of one to five. From if I remember right, I think it was two to three. It's now four to five. They've also got funding as well to put in some fish passes because there was impassable barriers on the stream. All of that done was done through this particular initiative. So I think I, I think certainly they, they can they can they, they can uh, uh, at least help. I'm not saying it's any way is it a magic bullet, but it can help. Can I ask you, Ken, how long, like take the Loch Ennell success story, how long did that process take? A good question. I'm not sure. I think it was would have been maybe three years, I think, two, two, two to three years, I think, at the most. Okay. And can I ask you, I get that sense of, uh, um, and I totally understand in terms of building up the data and the kind of the scientific analysis in terms of the foundation stone for the, the, the argument going forward. Is it a bit of the carrot and the stick? Obviously, you know, you want to start with the carrot, but then ultimately, if you're not getting anywhere, do you have recourse to a stick? And well, how big is that stick? <laughs> well, yeah, we 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 have massive sticks. There's no doubt about it. If people want to use them, there are ma- our environmental legislation is very strong. But the other thing to say is that um, the the other body we haven't mentioned yet, which again I think we're, we're lucky to have, um, our EPA do a very good job in terms of monitoring our rivers and streams. So all of the water quality data for every single site on the shore is on their website. So um, even though you know, the pipe may be offensive in terms of the smell, there may be sewage and so on going in. The overall effect on the river will really reflect itself in terms of the invertebrates and the invertebrate indices that they have and the chemical indices that they have. They have a very good handle on what's happening. So yeah, they told I, me, I, sorry, Ken, I cut across you again now, but while I think of it, I contacted the EPA on the, just on this, right? I, and I told them, they, the first thing they asked me was, had I contacted the local council? i.e. temporary county council. I said I had. Well, then they said there's nothing we can do until they have done their investigation, right? I said, you're the um, Environmental Protection Agency and there's nothing you can, you're telling me there's nothing you can do unless it's pushed up to you by the local county council. And she said, yeah, basically that's what it amounts to. And she said, as you rightly pointed out, Ken, we have all the information available about the waters you're talking about it's there on our website and we do regular testing of the waters and if there was any issues we'd uh, we'd be taking action and so basically what she told me was there's an acceptable level of pollution that's what it amounts to that's what that's what she effectively said they test the water for example downstream of a sewage outlet that's pumping directly in and they find yeah that's okay that's fine that's an acceptable level of pollution how bad is that isn't that awful that there's an acceptable level of pollution. It's absolutely shocking to me to hear that from the EPA, who are funded by the state, I've no doubt, and uh, the taxpayer is paying for them to just fob us off and tell us there's an acceptable level of pollution. Um, well, George, sorry, I, I'll have to, if I may, just, just maybe just, just tweak this a bit. Because uh, t- to be honest, I think from the way I see it, I think that's a little unfair. I think what, what you're seeing and you've, what you've described is absolutely correct. I'm not in any way doubting that because that's the way the system works. system works that the, that the EPA is doing the monitoring. Legally, the council are the people that are the first recourse, if you like, that you'd have. 
But in terms of this idea that in some way, and I agree, there is absolutely an acceptable level of pollution type system. That doesn't mean that the EPA isn't putting huge pressure on in terms of Irish water, in terms of the other infrastructure bodies to get these problems solved. What they're saying is that it's not at a level where it's actually going to be chronic and cause, cause a fish kill. But they're not saying that it's satisfactory unless it's in a situation where the river is recovering very quickly. So at the end of the day, there's, there's a gradation here. There's, there's a different sort of gradation depending on their results. But certainly the point I was making about the results is the fact that all of those results are available. And you can see that in the context of a, a river like the Shore, which thankfully has this amazing ability to actually assimilate uh, nutrients because of the fact that it's very rich and because it has its natural plants. Um, the ability of a river like that to deal with a, a, a discharge is far, far greater than it would be if it was a barren river in the west of Ireland. Not at all excusing it, but what I'm saying is what they mean by an acceptable level of pollution is that it's within the tolerance of the river. It's not actually going to cause a massive great fish kill. And the reason they can only say that is because the problem has not been solved yet. But behind the, behind the scenes, they're definitely putting pressure on for these problems to be solved. And I, I and I think Ken, and I really appreciate you know your time and your insights in this because like it's been enlightening and you're trying to be fair to how you see it in terms of the way the system you know is working, the way the system should work, and the way that we hope the system will work. But for me, George, I think as well as it will only work through people like yourself who are passionately engaged about it. But also all the other anglers out there, if you see similar, it, we can't have a one-off situation where a George McGrath on the shore you know, gets angry and energized about this issue. We need, wherever you are in the country, on any river or lake where you're seeing something similar going on, you know, Ken referenced citizen, you know, science and, and that we need the kind of numbers of people to put the pressure on. And I think that's where we need to start seeing it. But to also start using the, on a, on a, like it, whether we like it or not, we have to try and use the pathways that are there as described by Ken, because you know yourself, if you don't go down the proper pathways, well then, the relevant body will say, sorry, you didn't, you know, you didn't go the proper way. You can't come to us. You have to come the other way. So we have to use the system that exists. And I think for anybody maybe to get out of this is to, to go to the lawaters.ie website, the Law Pro website, go find the community team, the people, and start talking to them and start opening the dialogue, start trying to, you know, develop the foundation in terms of the data and the analysts and the, the report that can actually move this on. And hopefully then you know the carrot as opposed to the stick will work but like as far as i can see george that's the only answer to us now is to just you see we've been dealing as you said right going the right path for so many years right we've been doing it for donkey's years we've been going through the relevant um systems as you'd call them none of it has worked it's that simple have none you gone through the law pro system no, because I wasn't even aware that it existed. And that's, now, the, whole, maybe, that's the whole point of this podcast. So that people well, that's know. great because I'm now I'm aware of that. But there may well be people in uh, locally who are aware of that already. Um, I don't know whether they are, but I'll be making them aware of it. Um, there's also something else, and Ken may be able to answer this question for me. Ken, are there any moves afoot that you're aware of to control the level of nitrates and phosphates that are coming principally from agriculture into our rivers? Well, 
Um, that's a that's a very broad question. The 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 answer is yes. Um, I'm hoping hoping that it'll be that it'll be sufficient. Um, I've been very worried, as I mentioned at the very beginning, over the last four or five years. I certainly have seen a drop in ter- a very significant drop. I think in terms of our water quality, and I'm hoping that the, the initiatives that are now being taken will help that. Um, certainly under the new uh, under the new um, uh, cap. Uh, certainly there are a whole new set of systems that are going to be brought in with a view to trying to control the nutrients, the phosphorus and nitrate going into the rivers. Um, Also, and hopefully lots of community groups along the shore have contributed to this, um, the new uh, river basin management plans are coming into being. There was a whole series of uh, public consultations um, over the last six or seven months. Um, That was by far the best opportunity people would have had to put the sort of case uh, that um, George put together so eloquently tonight, uh, to put that into those particular systems when they were open to public participation was really important. So under the new uh, river basin management plans, in combination with the uh, new CAP uh, systems, and also in combination with this idea of the priority areas for action, which was piloted over the last five or six years is now going to be expanded. There is great hope at this stage that we can start to put manners on this because it's really, really urgent that we do. And if you, if you have a combination of nutrients coming in because you have a poorly functioning um, um, sewage treatment plant in combination with a system where the uh, river is already under huge pressure because of nutrients from agriculture, well, that, that river is in real danger. And we really do need to lessen the pressure and uh, the, um, you know, the potential uh, impacts that may occur in those streams. Look, George, I want to thank you again for um, highlighting this issue. And I think the more that we can highlight these issues, the more we can bring it to the fore, the more that we can make people aware, make the relevant bodies aware, and have more numbers of people like yourself, um, you know, and going through the law process system and the river uh, basement, the catchment program, all that kind of stuff, we just have, you know, you just have to keep keep hammering home the message, you know. And I know it's frustrating. And by God, when you get to the river and you realise you can't fish it and it's being choked, um, it really does uh, frustrate and anger you as well. But Ken and George, thanks a million for your time. Thanks a million for your insights. And um, we will follow this story um, with interest going forward. Thanks, George. That's Our thanks to George McGrath and Ken Whelan for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.